electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, a predatory land grab in Maui. We're going to expose the disturbing rush to try to buy up property devastated by wildfires. Dan Ives, bold new call, the analyst playing matchmaker for ESPN. He's here with who should buy them. How's this for a shock? An EV maker from Vietnam, now worth about the same as Ford and GM combined. We'll try to make sense of it. Intel's plans to buy a rival crushed by China. Coinbase scoring a huge win in its quest to make crypto just like any other asset class. And paying more for less. New proof of how much shrinkflation is really growing across America. All that and much more with the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, welcome, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good evening here. Good afternoon out west. We're going to hit all those stories and more over the hour. But first up today, the retail crime crisis getting worse for business. Target CEO laying out today just how bad theft is getting. During the first five months of this year, our store saw a 120% increase in theft incidents involving violence or threats of violence. Now, Cornell has already estimated theft losses, what retailers call shrinkage, could hit over $1 billion this year. That's just at Target this year. And listen, a billion? It's a big number. So here's a way to maybe break down just how much is going out the back or maybe the front door. Let us suppose, and this is a hypothetical, that the average price of a stolen item at Target is roughly 30 bucks. Now, we made that number up, but you can put in any estimate you want. Maybe probably a fair guess. Okay, so $30 item. At $1.2 billion in estimated losses this year, that would mean $40 million $30 items are being stolen at Target stores this year. Target has just under 2,000 stores across America, so that would also be about 20,000 items per store per year going out the back or maybe the front door. Again, Just our rough estimate. Put in any number you want, but that number's based on data from Target and other sources. And to be clear, this is not just a Target issue. Just over the weekend, a flood of people descending into a Nordstrom in Los Angeles and stole allegedly $300,000 worth of merchandise. Now, we are not here to talk about the crime element of this, okay? We're going to leave that to others. We want to talk about the business aspect of it, particularly where all this stolen merchandise is ending up, and if there is a way to stop or slow it, because theft will raise prices for everybody as companies have to make up for those lost sales, and they will charge you more. Let's talk about it with our opening panel tonight. Joining us, founder of LaSalle Network, Tom Gimble, and Retail Industry Leaders Association president and CEO, Brian Dodge. Brian, not just a target problem, but I feel like they have been a little more vocal about it 
Some people say, no, this is way overblown. How big of an issue really is this? The problem is huge, Brian, and I think you've really summarized it well in your tee up here. This is a tens of billions, close to $100 billion problem annually, and it's really fed by two major factors. The first is the decision by local leaders and prosecutors to largely decriminalize theft, which is giving carte blanche to thieves to go into stores and steal product at will. Second has been the easy access to unsuspecting buyers that online marketplaces have given to these boosters who are selling now billions of dollars of stolen goods through Amazon and eBay and other online marketplaces. Do it's we, been a bonanza for these kinds of criminals and something needs to be done to stop. Well, Brian, do we know Do we know that for sure? That, that, that where, because this stuff is not just being kept or stolen, whatever. This is being, this has got to be institutional level theft. There, there's other forces and marketplaces behind this. That's not, that's way too big in numbers to be a couple of kids. There's a, absolutely not. These are sophisticated criminal enterprises that have found a profitable means of making money through stealing goods and selling them largely to unsuspecting buyers online. The explosion of online commerce over the course of the last year as every demographic has grown comfortable with buying online has been an opportunity for these criminals to find buyers who perhaps previously wouldn't have found these products to be attractive to them. And the one eBay, thing, Amazon, yeah, yeah, and listen, the, these videos that we see, they go around the internet, I get it, but Tom, let's also be very, very clear and fair, okay? There is a lot bigger, there are bigger players clearly behind this. My wife worked at Consumer Products, talked about the fact that there, there, there are trucks that go missing. This is not just a localized issue. This seems to Brian's point to be a true institutional issue with bigger, much more well-financed and organized players behind it than some teens playing smash and grab. Well, you're right, Brian. I mean, just because you see the videos of 30 what look like kids running in and taking bags doesn't mean that it's not orchestrated the same way that selling drugs on the street corner isn't connected to deeper and bigger pockets beyond that. So we really have some societal Correct. problems I think, here. I think, the, I think they're probably being used, to be perfectly blunt. I, I think most definitely, and they're getting paid pennies on the dollar, and the people that are running the organization are making exponentially more. But the bigger problem we see is that even people who are soft on crime don't realize that this type of stuff is what leads to inflation. And when you have inflation, the increase in wages, which you've had me on to talk about a lot of why aren't we seeing a more positive impact from that? This is exactly why, is that there is a link to crime and there is a link to wage inflation and there is a, a link to economic problems. It's not just about target losing a billion dollars. And I, I, I think you're making an excellent point, Tom, and talk to us about the job aspect of it. You heard the target CEO. He wasn't just talking about theft. He was also talking about threats on employees, threats of violence, you know, whatever you're going to if you're going to work at a store and know that you may have to deal with that type of situation, you're going to have to be paid a lot more because I can even tell you myself, I'm not working there. If I know there's a risk that's that that there's that I could be harmed just trying to sell somebody goods. You're going to have you're going to have several problems. You're going to you're going to have the problems of the the manager and the 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 store clerk who wants to be a hero 
and one day something bad is going to happen to them. And then you've got a real, a bigger problem. Number two, you're also going to have what I call the public-private partnership. And the question is, if Target invested money to have two to three armed security guards on property at all 2,000 of their stores, would that add up to a billion dollars in wages? I don't think so. Don't and then you've got the challenge that it? arises. What's that? Is that going to stop it? I think, I think it begins to stop it. And I think when you have private, you know, this is like when, when the military sends in private, private forces overseas. When you hire private armed security guard who are licensed to be there, who are trained professionals, you're going to end up having something that's legal to do with people who are, yeah. are registered to, to execute that. And you're going to actually start to have a public-private yeah. challenge of privatizing the police. And, and there, you know, Brian, there are people that will take things they see and then sort of personalize them. They, they read about a shark attack, the first shark attack in 50 years, and they say, well, I'm not going to go to the beach because I don't want to get bitten by a shark. Okay, maybe irrational behavior. But I bring that up because there will be people that will say, maybe I'm just going to order everything online. I'm not going to go to the stores themselves because I'm worried about what may happen. As irrational as that may be, that thinking, I guarantee you, is out there, and we're already facing a situation where many retailers, malls, commercial real estate are struggling mightily. There seems to be a second layer spiral here that may occur. You're describing just the, the worst case scenario here, the unfortunate degradation of communities and contributing to that is this level of crime. We want people to be able to come to stores. We want people to be able to move freely. Uh, Tom mentioned a public-private partnership. That's the way out of this. It's the important part of working with government to explain to them, prosecutors in particular, that these are criminals who need to be prosecuted. We need to be the folks who are behind these large criminal enterprises belong in jail. And we need to be working to get them off the streets and to change the laws so that we're not yeah. decriminalizing theft. Yeah. And we need to take demand away as well by forcing more accountability in these online marketplaces to police what's being sold there. Yep, that's it. Go, go after the Ebays as well, right? And by the way, empty strip malls in areas bring down the value of housing. So if the stores leave, it could impact everybody. And by the way, the city's tax base as well. Brian and Tom, thank you both very much. An important conversation there. All right, meantime, here's what happened to your money today. Been a bit of a lousy August for your stock holdings. Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ all down again. The NASDAQ losing more than a percent. By the way, down about 6% is the NASDAQ this month. The biggest winner of the day is always winners out there. Progressive Insurance popping just under 9%. The biggest decliner, Missouri-based payment processor Jack Henry & Associates down about 7%. Also, as we talked about last night, very important, very important to watch bond yields right now. The 10-year yield up again today. It's now at four and a quarter percent highest closing yield in 15 years. That can move a lot of things. All right, we are just getting started on this Wednesday last call. And up next, a land grab at its worst. Greedy buyers trying to scoop up property destroyed by Maui wildfires. Can authorities put a stop to that? Plus, should Disney sell ESPN? Dan Ives says if they do, he's got the perfect potential buyer. He'll join us. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva! CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the CNBC-style stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, Hawaiian Electric. They're now in talks with restructuring firms. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, the electric utility exploring options to address its financial and legal challenges. Hawaiian Electric has been hit with a wave of lawsuits alleging it was negligent before and during the deadly wildfires in Maui. As you can see, shares of Hawaiian Electric down again after hours. Following the news, by the way, that stock has lost more than half its value this week alone. Next up, Cisco showing some signs of improvement in its product orders. That coming from its fiscal fourth quarter earnings call a short time ago. Shares are up in after hours trading. Still, Cisco projected annual revenue below Wall Street estimates, a sign that an uncertain economic outlook may weigh on demand for its networking products. So, and finally, a bold call you may be talking about tomorrow. Just hours ago, top tech analyst Dan Ives published a new note suggesting ESPN should be sold to Apple. Now, don't think this is crazy. Remember, Disney CEO Bob Iger himself has said he is looking to find a, quote, strategic partner for the sports network. That could include a full sale. Who knows? Joining us now is the man behind that bold call, managing director of Wedbush, Dan Ives. Dan, uh... Is this like is this like fantasy note or do you think there's a real chance this could happen? Uh, I really think it's a matter of when, not if, because if you look at it for Apple, they need content and live sports content. What's going after you look at the messy MLS, that's just the start. And then you look on the Disney side. I think this is something that could clearly be on the table for Iger and Disney. And you I think viewed as a perfect match when I look at. All right. Well, if you don't hear Dan, neither do I. We're going to try to get Dan's audio back up and, and figure it out. And by the way, it was just getting good. Maybe ESPN. Is he back? I was Dan, are you back? Yep. I thought maybe ESPN, you know, execs cut the cord secretly on us. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Go back. Your note, by the way, is called Finding Messi. It's a reference to Lionel Messi. I assume that's a reference to his deal with Apple TV, which clearly has, as shown by the Lionel Messi deal, bigger TV and sports ambitions. Well, I think this is just the start for ESPN, because I think when you look at what that actual asset, I think Apple is really the perfect fit. And I think this is something for Cupertino that they're looking to go after. Live sports content is the golden goose. I believe it's a matter of when, not if. ESPN and Apple get together. Yeah, you know, it's 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 fascinating overall because we talked about it, Dan. You feel like some of these and ESPN, by the way, has some amazing 
assets. We know they're going through some cost cutting now, but I mean, it is the, you know, in many ways, the preeminent sports network. It feels like the only companies that will ultimately be able to afford particularly sports rights are going to be the Apples, the Amazons, the Googles. Kind of feels like a new day of tens of billions of dollars at risk. It's a new age. And I think when you look at Apple, I mean, you're talking about coming here historically has never done acquisitions of this size, but you have 200 billion that they could ultimately go after and more. And I think it's just the start of Apple, Amazon, and others just going more and more after sports content. You look at ESPN, to me, it's just the perfect fit for Apple, either as a strategic partnership minimum, but we believe an acquisition could clearly happen here uh, as we look into the next six to nine months. Mm-hmm. I want to I follow up on a different topic, Dan, and that is Tesla. You've been very bullish. You've been very right. But I will note that Tesla kind of quietly is down 20% in one month. They just cut car prices again in China. Are you concerned? Do you still remain bullish? We remain firmly bullish. I mean, I view this as more of a sell-off post-quarter, worries about China. But Brian, me and you have talked about this. They're cutting prices, going for volumes. That's the right strategic poker move for Musk and Tesla. I think it continues to really be a land grab opportunity for them. And I I view this as an opportunity. I think as we go into the rest of the year, demand will be firm going into next year, especially with Cybertruck. I think it's a table pounder at these levels. Table pounder at these levels. There you go. Well, if you you like Tesla before, you just got a 20% discount. Uh, Dan Ives, fascinating note. Dan, appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Have a great night. All right. Quick programming note. We did mention Cisco. After earnings, well, the CEO is going to be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Chuck Robbins. Where's Baskins? All right, up next, a potentially predatory practice that could make your stomach churn. The brazen moves by developers in the aftermath of Maui's deadly wildfire. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Last Call. And the tragedy in Maui continues to grow. The death toll, now 107, but an estimated 1,300 people are still missing and thousands are without shelter and power or both. Fires have caused at least $6 billion in damage. President Biden saying that he will visit the island on Monday. But even as the search, rescue, and recovery operation continues, there is this. Reports of people or companies seeking to try to capitalize on the destruction. Survivors of the fire say they're getting calls from investors wanting to buy what remains of their property. So much of a problem that Hawaii Governor Josh Green says he and the state's attorney general are exploring options for a moratorium or ban on the sale of properties that have been damaged or destroyed by those fires. Our goal is to have a local commitment forever to this community as we rebuild. So we will be making sure that we do all that we can to prevent that land from falling into hands of people from the outside. 
Officials have also announced that they will make free attorneys available for residents on this issue. Joining us now on the ground in Maui is Jack Dugan. He is the director of Maui Now, a local community news source and the chief operating officer of the Pacific Media Group, the parent company of some of the local radio and TV networks in Hawaii. Jack, first and foremost, thoughts and prayers to everybody involved. This is an absolute tragedy. But when we hear that there are people phoning up folks whose homes just burned to the ground looking to buy it, I'm sorry, it's stomach churning. Yeah, yeah, to say the least, Brian, and thank you for that. And thank you for the con- condolences and the thoughts and prayers. Uh, we need it. Keep them coming, please. Um, it's, it, you know, sadly, it, it's not it's not a, exactly, uh, you know, a new problem. It's been piece by piece over many years, I think, for a lot of the, the Native Hawaiians and local families being, you know, slowly pushed out or bought out. Um, some not not so able to, uh, you know, uh, really evaluate the circumstance. And I think this situation we have right now, um, it's just, uh, it's frightening. I've, I've talked with many, many families, many survivors. I've spent uh, about four days uh, on the west side of Maui near and, and around Lahaina since the event. And, um, you know, people people with tears running down their eyes talking about, um, you know, they're not leaving. You know, they're, they're those that are there, they're, they're living in wherever they can live, neighbors, families, um, you know, homes right, right outside of the, um, the disaster zone. And just, just fearful that they're going to, this is going to be taken away um, from under well, their feet. I, do we, do we, I, I'll probably put you on the spot a little bit here, Jack, but cause we probably don't, but do we have any idea who these, who these people or companies are that are, I, I mean, the recovery operation is still underway and you've got people calling up others saying, Hey, I'd like to buy your home. I mean, just, it, it feels just dirty, just disgusting. Yeah, yeah, there's there's been there's been so many reports. I'm certainly not going to be the expert to say which which entities or companies. I've seen a couple of emails that have crossed my desk about um, you know just it, it appeared to be more like a, a broker or you know someone of that sort rather than than some major organization. But I'm certainly not not privy to all those different conversations. There's there's a lot um, of reports of it. And of course, as you point out, um, Governor Josh Green has gotten involved. So it's it's certainly, um, you know, it's a big issue. And I, I think, um, you know, it's people don't, uh, many people don't realize, but, you know, Lahaina is, it's, uh, it was the original capital of the Hawaiian kingdom. It's got so much history and culture. And of course, uh, much of that has been has been lost with with some of the structures and homes and families lost. But but there's also, um, you know, we're a resilient uh, community and and state and people. And, um, you know, they, they want to rebuild and, and want to get back in, in their new homes and and, and live, um, you know, in, in the areas that they've been. And um, it's, it's there's just, just so much history with it. And, and I think so many are feel fearful that this this sort of scale of event um, could create a major shift in, in you know, titles and, and land exchanges. And, and just people are afraid right now. Yeah. And, and we've seen so many of the, the videos of the scenes of some of the people coming even into the water. By the way, one of our producers on last call was on her honeymoon in Lahaina about a day or two before this occurred. I'm sure there's many stories like that. Jack, do we have any any more? In, it's been hard to get actual information out uh, we talked about Hawaii Electric. That stock has fallen by half. And I only bring that up because, you know, the electrical side of the story certainly is one that has been in play. Do we have any full, any more information on the cause of this? Yeah, it's it's definitely not not an area that I, that I should speak to. Um, there's there's speculation. Obviously, the um, I, I, I think it was reported on, on our site, MauiNow.com, 
um, by Wendy Osher of a um, of a lawsuit um, against Hawaii Electric. That's probably widely reported. I think um, it, it, it's it, you know it's too early to say. I know our focus, you know, here is as the local media. <clears throat> we're not we're not even we're not even there. You know, as far as in the investigations and 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 what who why it's just there's still so many people in need as as you say there's um, there's tragically um, you know uh, in the thousands of people still missing so uh, as you can imagine we're just we're just trying to get through this and try to help our community get information uh, you know it's it's yeah it's it's too it's too early to really is say there, the cause is the, where did the survivors who are now homeless go is there any way we can our viewers and listeners can help. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, of course, uh, you know, just just keeping, um, you know, I think I think we all uh, there's a there's a sense that this is a big news story across the world right now. But, you know, in a week or two, it'll, it'll all be, you know, for, you know, forgotten and not not on people's minds. So I'd say first and foremost, um, I would ask uh, your audience to, to make a commitment in their in their minds and in their heart to to help Maui, um, help us protect ourselves. And, you know, I think that um, that message again is um, is about, you know, our local community being in control of the future of our local community. I think that's that's how I'd put it, you know, whether it's outside investors, you know, even, even government politicians, you know, um, sometimes, or I think most oftentimes good in, good intentions, right. But yeah. the local community needs the ongoing support and hopefully for, from months to come from who, whomever out there that, that cares about um, Maui and our people would really appreciate it. Jack Dugan, we appreciate you coming on at this tough time, Jack. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Be well. All right, still ahead, another big American company learning a hard lesson from China. Plus, how an EV maker from Vietnam is now bigger than GM and Ford. And we help unearth the scourge of so-called shrinkflation in that breakfast sandwich right there. Stick around. All right, let's get your last call. Watch list on this Wednesday. First up, Eli Lilly, a company we've been talking a lot about. We call them the new king of pharma. That stock just keeps going up, hitting a new intraday all-time high, going all the way back to 1952. For Lilly, it really is all about obesity and diabetes. Monjaro sales are booming. One study saying it can cut body weight by 17% over a 17-month period. Lilly also seeing some recent positive data about their Alzheimer's treatment. In the meantime, the bidding war for U.S. Steel keeps driving that stock up. Shares of X up again today. That stock up more than 30% on the week. The price to buy the company apparently keeps rising with privately held S-Mark bidding $7.8 billion. That would value U.S. Steel at 35 a share. Cleveland Cliff's similar offer was rejected. Reuters now reporting a third company could enter the sweepstakes. One interesting wrinkle. U.S. Steel owns the highly coveted ticker symbol X. Paging Elon Musk, anybody? Hmm. All right, finally, golf maker Zach's Parente is in the rough. Now, Zach's is known for its high-end putters. They're 400-plus each, apparently. The company made its public debut yesterday, had a lot of enthusiasm. Stock soared more than 600%. It actually was the best IPO of the year so far. But like so many putts, the love affair was short-lived. They nailed it on one this time, and today most of those gains are wiped out. Shares of Saks Parente are SPGC, down more than 80% today. That, that my friends, is it's not the sign of a healthy market. Just throwing that out there. 
All right, meantime, shares of a Vietnamese electric car maker are hitting the skids. But after a blockbuster debut, the company is called VinFast Auto. It listed on the NASDAQ yesterday following its merger with a SPAC, the Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. Now, VinFast fell 19% today, but after tripling its value on the first day of trading. Here's where it gets, dare we say, random but interesting. Despite today's plunge, VinFast is still worth more than any of Detroit's major brands like Ford and GM. It's worth $70 billion. Ford's at 47 GM's at almost 48 and Stellantis is at 56 VinFast, 69.9. Your next guest, though, says he would not touch it with your money. Joining us now once again is Herb Greenberg, Empire Financial Senior Editor and CNBC Contributor. You know, you could actually probably roll this VinFast story into the one I just did about the golf putting company. I mean, when you see a stock go up two and 300 percent, and then fall 70 or 80%, that is not a healthy stock market, Herb. You know, Brian, I was just writing something that I'm going to publish on Substack in my empire soon um, about this very thing. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, just when you thought the nuttiness, the craziness was gone, we start with some of those meme stocks over here, and then we start coming on with some of these others, and then you get the golf company, which, by the way, there's more to that story than meets the eye, and then... You get this one, VinFast. Never heard of the company until yesterday when I had published something where I was sorry I didn't even know about this company because it was on SPACs. And you asked whether anyone should invest in this. That You, know, you say, I say they shouldn't touch it, not touch it with a 10-foot pole, not touch it with a 10,000-foot pole. Because if you take a look at the situation here, what you have, you have a company that, well, let's see. The best I'll give these guys is in the investor presentation for the SPAC, there was no really crazy, outrageous revenue or even earnings forecasts because what they didn't tell you in there is what the revenues or earnings really were, which were pretty bad. Mm. And what they did do is they over-exaggerated what this company could be. Look at it this way, Brian. This is really important. This is part of another company called Vingroup. And in the presentation, they show you these fantastic revenues that from 2017 now are up to $27 billion for this conglomerate. So my question is this. This is such a big company with so many elements, and they want to do something with it with this. Why a SPAC? That's the question you always have to ask. Why didn't they spin this thing off? That's it. Why didn't they do it? Is it fair to call them kind of like an Alibaba in a weird way of Vietnam? Because they got all these other different businesses. Now it's electric cars. And to your point, listen, I'm not going to pick on Lucid, which is the EV high-end EV maker. If you look at their investor presentation a couple years ago, they were projecting, I think it was billions in sales. Right. They're not even anywhere close to that. The lesson. And by the way, maybe VinFast will get there. OK, but I think the lesson you're trying to impart is just because a company says we think we're going to get here. We could get there. Maybe we'll do this. Doesn't mean they will. They might, but they may never. And by the way, the reviews of the VinFast VF8. OK, the best part. road and track. OK, road and track. One of my favorite magazines called the zero fuel steering sketchy. Even at normal speeds, the reviews for this this alleged car are awful. And yet the car company is now worth more than Ford, GM and Stellantis. Right, right. Jalopnik, which does a a summary of all these reviews, summarize all the horrible reviews of the big SUV for this company by saying 
The real commonality between all of these accounts is that overnight, the VF8, that's the name of the of the car, has obliterated the notion that there are no terrible cars for sale anymore. And, you know, oh, I can, you name, have to I know can name a number of them. Well, of course, but you're a car guy. Here's what we're going to do, Herb. You and I, I'm going to announce my retirement on the air right now. Tomorrow, you and I are <laughs> launching a SPAC. It's going to be an EV. It's going to be an electric car company that also you can only buy it using crypto. And the whole company is going to be powered by AI. And we're going to SPAC it. Sounds like a, hey, let's do it. You know people will buy it because you know there's a sucker born every second on Wall Street. And I, I don't know if the ticker's taken, but hey, my initials, the, cup, the ticker will be BS. And it's going to be perfect. Herb Greenberg, don't laugh, Christine. Herb Greenberg, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Be careful. See you again, Brian. Be careful out there, and products matter. All right, now to China and Intel. Investors losing more money today. Stock fell again. Intel scrapped a proposed $5.5 billion bid for Israeli chipmaker Tower Semi after failing to get regulatory approval. But Intel did not not get regulatory approval from America. It didn't get it from China. And so the deal died. Christina P. here with the details. Christina. That's exactly it. And it was 18 months they had to wait patiently. Intel uh, finally pulling the plug on acquiring, like you mentioned, Israeli foundry uh, tower semiconductor, which disappoints prospects also for Intel's foundry business, another way of saying manufacturing. Tower is pretty small, contributes less than 1% of global foundry revenues. For context on your screen, Taiwan takes up about 58% on the right-hand side. Intel isn't even on that pie chart, and that's the problem. So losing this tower deal isn't expected to be a massive blow to Intel, considering it's already building out its foundry business with a focus on advanced chips, and tower would help have, would have helped run uh, the foundry, and, but it also would have helped with more of those lagging chips, the, the ones that are found in cars. But this failed deal, to your point, Brian, is really about China's regulators refusing to play ball amid rising tensions with the United States. Intel derives over a quarter of its revenues from China. In other words, it has a pretty strong presence in the country, but that means regulators have the right to review any mergers of companies like Intel when they earn a certain amount of revenue in China. So for now, Intel is caught in the crosshairs between China and the United States, and they have a $353 million breakup fee as proof. Is it, is it over, you know, TV hyperbole to say it just feels like the latest and sort of this back and forth, right? We're going we're gonna to go after Huawei. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go after that. Okay, we're going to go after this. And U.S. companies are like the, the ping pong ball in the middle here. Well, to your point, there's 70,000 U.S. companies that do business in China. So who's going to be next? Micron was the low-hanging fruit. Uh, China, not too long ago, took a ban against all Micron products. What you're seeing on your screen right now is just a timeline of the restrictions that have happened. In 2022, there was a ban on certain uh, advanced chips to China. Then in 2023, Japan and the Netherlands joined forces to restrict sales to China. And then lastly, just last week, Brian, this is an interesting point. The United States is now going to restrict U.S. investments in China. We're not talking about that enough because that is the first time you're actually putting a stop on what American investors can do. With yeah, this money. is a, what you're referring to. And by the way, it got almost no attention, which was shocking because yeah. they've been working on it for a year and a half. A new executive order by the president that would limit U.S. investment into China. I mean, Correct. Got, it's not one that they did, a, you know, the White House, the Oval Office signing and there was people clapping. This was done sort of quietly 
because it's kind of another punch in the face to China. Yeah, and so for our viewers to know, an example would be there are a lot of funds here in the United States that invested in ByteDance, which is part of uh, the parent of TikTok, for example. That company was supposed to list in the United States in 2021. That failed. And so a lot of those U.S. investors may not get as much of a payout. But going forward, will there be other U.S. investors that are going to say, hey, I'm not going to invest in China anymore. I've got to look elsewhere because they're too worried. And uh, mm-hmm. PitchBook even put out a stat for 2022. Okay. The combined uh, venture capital and P.E. investments in China have dropped to an eight year low. So I guess if you're working for the Biden administration, you'd say, hey, it's working. Right? Yeah. Until well, uh, the American companies get hurt, American workers get hurt as well. Chinese economy is also Slowly. in the yeah, in the dump. I mean, it's not, it's not doing well at all. But interesting story. Intel getting whacked by China. Christina, thank you very much. Thanks. All right, coming up, the future is here, or rather crypto futures may be here. Why a major victory for Coinbase could recharge the battered industry next. All right. Well, you remember that? Remember the movie Swingers with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau? And toward the end, he's all drunk in that bar or the diner and he gets up and he gets on the table and he goes, you're all grown up and you're all grown up. Well, guess what? I think crypto is all grown up because crypto exchange Coinbase now has approval to offer crypto futures trading to its customers. The green light comes nearly two years after Coinbase filed the initial application. Company says It hopes to make crypto futures available in the coming weeks. Shares of Coinbase closing slightly in the red today. Unclear why, but it's a big deal. Let's talk more about what it might mean. Let's bring in crypto guru and tech investor Anthony Pompliano. I guess guess crypto with a future does feel like it's all grown up. Ryan, listen, I, I think that uh, Bitcoin and the crypto industry is not going anywhere. Uh, I used to come on this show five years ago, and as the price crashed from 20000 down to $3,000, I told everyone that uh, this is a very, very resilient industry. Young people want these assets, and they're going to continue to buy it, and uh, it would recover. I think we're in the exact same situation. We've obviously seen the price crash significantly. We're about 50% down from all-time highs. But I think that what we are seeing underlying here, something like this uh, futures development with Coinbase, but also a lot of the trading volume across the industry is showing that this stuff is not going to go away. And so people who have gotten bored or have left, uh, I think they're in for a big surprise over the next 18 to 24 months as this thing comes roaring back once again. Why? So why, why, why roaring back? And listen, if you're a long-term crypto investor, I know you are. I'm talking about you, the pejorative, you know, the rhetorical out there and across the world. You've been through 50% declines before, right? And you, if you've stomached it, you've gotten rich. What do you see as the next sort of bull catalyst for crypto, Anthony? Most people watching this show, they went to Economics 101 class, and when they sat there, one of the first things they were taught was supply and demand. When you look at Bitcoin, about 19 million of the 21 million Bitcoin are sitting out there in the circulating supply. Of that, a majority are being held for over one year without trading hands. So it's a highly illiquid uh, circulating supply. And so when you look at things like the halving that's coming up next year, it's a supply shock uh, to an asset. That usually leads to more media coverage. That media coverage then leads to more institutional participation. You add in things like BlackRock coming in with their ETF applications, also others like ARK Invest, et cetera. And then you even look at things like these futures, right? Futures make up about 80% of all trading volume in the crypto industry. There's over a trillion dollars worth of that trading volume every single year. If you look at something like there's a new uh, data platform called Velo Data that goes and highlights a lot of this stuff, you can see the volumes are trading uh, and people are not leaving. So the mainstream conversation has changed. But if you just look at supply and demand, highly illiquid market, and you're going to get these catalysts to the upside. And so when that happens, 
it over and over again, I expect that there will be a much higher Bitcoin price in the coming months. Yeah, it feels like the true believers, they're sticking around. Maybe some of the fringe players, they've gone away. But this, another big step in crypto. Anthony, do appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up, you want to see so-called shrinkflation in action? Well, <laughs> that is a breakfast sandwich I bought. That's my iPhone. The sandwich was not from the kids' menu. We're going to talk more about this, and here's some of your examples of shrinkflation coming up. All right, your RBI today has to do with a small problem that's getting even smaller. What's happening to the sizes of so much of the stuff that we buy? They literally seem to be shrinking right before our eyes. But what's not going down, of course, is the price of all this stuff. Now, I'm sure you've noticed it, and we've all noticed it. I've noticed it. Your trusty TV news anchors noticed it in the past few months, usually getting some fast food. Yesterday, we woke up in Florida, and I was hungry, so I was on the way to the airport. I hit a national fast food chain for breakfast. Not going to name them, whatever. I got a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit combo, a bottle of water, and a coffee. The total, by the way, was nearly 11 bucks for that. But the sandwich was about the size of a silver dollar. Okay, that's my phone, a normal-sized iPhone, not the Max. So the sandwich's diameter was about the same as the size of the top of my iPhone. Just take a look at that, to be fair. Now, maybe this is the size it's always been, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. It was like a slider. I think it was another victim of so-called shrinkflation. Prices down, and, or size is down, price is the same, or even up. And so, of course, we asked you. I asked you last night on Twitter slash X, what are some of the most egregious signs of shrinkflation that you've seen right now? Lots of great answers. Thank you. Here are a few. Iowa minifan is upset with his morning coffee. By the way, when did a nice coffee become five bucks? SFO also on the breakfast theme, slamming smaller cereal boxes. Cereal boxes are among the most obnoxious. Michael C. Honcho says it's costing more to not stink. Seems like we're getting less deodorant per stick for our money. I kind of agree with that. And it's not just humans taking the hit. Uncle Jack writes, my pup's favorite treats were 15 bucks for four and a half ounces, now 21 bucks for three and a half ounces. And one person noted that a roll of toilet paper used to have 340 sheets, now down to 312. To quote Elaine from Seinfeld, can you spare a square? Shrinkflation is an easy and some would say sneaky way trying to keep profits and sales at a certain level and not raise prices too much. I have a feeling this nasty little trend is here to stay, random, but annoying. Joining us now for more on how far shrinkflation extends is longtime consumer advocate and the founder of ConsumerWorld.com, public site dedicated to consumer education, Edgar Dworsky. Edgar, uh, apparently we are not just anecdotally making this up. You have real-world examples, and let's start with the tragedy of cake mix. Well... Cake mixes have been getting smaller and smaller. Here's Betty Crocker, probably the most famous yellow cake mix. The old one, 15 and a quarter ounces. The new one, 13 and a quarter. And what's even more surprising, before this, it was 18 and a quarter. So we've actually lost over 25% of the cake. So your birthday cake this coming year is going to get smaller and smaller. You'll save some calories, though. That's the positive side. Yeah, my waistline is still getting bigger, but th th that's a different issue. <laughs> Edgar, I spill some of the cake mix. I drop an egg. I need a paper towel. Apparently, paper towels quietly also 
a victim well, just the, of shrinkflation. Just the way your viewers said toilet paper, you know, fewer sheets, fewer sheets on Bounty and other brands. This one went from 98 sheets on a roll to 90. In this 12-roll pack that you're seeing there, that's the same as getting 11 rolls where you used to get 12. This is the one that broke my heart, and this goes out to my friend Mike, who he knows who he is. He's, an, he's skinny, but he's an Oreo addict. I don't know how you have both the same, but whatever, Mike, this is for you. Double stuff Oreos. Again, maybe it should be like double-ish stuffed Oreos. Well, the, the one pound, four ounce package went down to one pound, 2.71 ounces. Who comes up with these cockamamie sizes? But the bottom line is you lost four Oreos in every package. Most people don't check the net weight of products. So this is really a sneaky way to pass on a price increase because you're getting less for your money. And if you were to know, if you were to be the one that like, I guess you're probably the guy in the aisle looking at this stuff, you found out that gain has lost. Gain detergent, also down. But I think to your earlier point, you say, what are these cockamamie? What a great word, by the way. My guess is, Edgar, you've got to adjust the size so little that per package you don't notice. But when you make millions of them a a week or a day or a year, it, it matters to the company's bottom line. I mean, absolutely. You mentioned cereal before. Take out an ounce of cereal from every package. That's a bowl of cereal in most cases. General Mills is one example. How many millions of boxes of cereal do they sell in a year? So they're making big bucks by taking out that little one or two ounces. Now, everyone's going to blame this on corporate greed, and I'm sure corporate greed, it's an easy target, and it does play a role. But I was looking at profit margins for, say, a Kroger Kroger's profit margin is actually lower than it was before COVID. Do we have any idea why this, is it just, is it labor costs? Is it ingredient costs? Is it greed? Is it D, all the above? Well, it really is all the above. When I've spoken to manufacturers, they tell me the raw ingredients costs have gone up, transportation costs have gone up, labor has gone up, and they have a couple of choices. They can raise the price directly, but they know consumers will catch that. Or they can do it the sneaky way, give you a little bit less because they know that most consumers are not net weight conscious. We all have to pay more attention to the fine print on all those package labels. Yeah, I wonder if it's I wonder if it's stopped. Keep looking, Edgar. When you spot something else, let us know. We'll, we'll get you back on or throw it up. We appreciate it. Edgar Dworsky. Appreciate it. Good stuff. And that chicken, by the way, the breakfast sandwich is also cold and dry. All right. Tonight, we are paying tribute to the king of rock and roll in a sad way, because 46 years ago today, Elvis died. I mean, some say Elvis died, right? Anyway, (laughs) rising to fame in the 50s, Presley's unique voice and signature dance moves made him an icon, and by the way, the cops hated him. His hits such as Heartbreak Hotel and Jailhouse Rock became anthems for a generation, and parents said, hey, don't watch Elvis, whatever. Despite his death at the age of just 42, his legacy lives on today. Elvis, one of the best-selling artists of all time, estimated he sold more than a billion record worldwide. Rest in peace, Elvis Presley. That's it for us on Last Call tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box, Squawk Box, Shark Tank is next. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.